Listen, if you have your Bible there, your finger on me in 1 John. 1 John chapter, you should already have be there, your finger on it, because I told you where we was going already. You shouldn't have, you, I shouldn't even have to say anything. You should already be like, let's go. <laughs> 1 John chapter 2, all right? 1 John chapter 2, we'll read verses 3 through 11. 1 John chapter 2, 3 through 11, of course, if you don't have a Bible or a device, it will be on the screen. And for those of you joining us online, welcome with us, being with us this morning. Hopefully, you're ready as well. First uh, John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, this is what the word of the Lord says. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version of God's Holy Word, and it says this. Uh, and by this, that's a clue right there, just those three words, right? And by this. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. As most of you know, I usually like to affix a title to these passages that I feel like are appropriate, that communicate whatever I see in the passage. And so I've already shared with you that today uh, I'll be talking about from this passage that I just read, Passing the Test. Passing the Test. For many people, oftentimes including myself, Exams are the source of great stress and anxiety. Many of you here get stressed out, the kids, maybe even some of the older folks, about exams. They often uh, create stress and anxiety. Uh, this, is, this is normally the case when it happens. It happens because of the fear of failing or not doing so well. There's just sometimes this fear of Failing or not doing so with tests, exams can create this very thing. So on this note, I'd like to share with you the top five toughest tests, exams in the world. Top five. This, now, this is debatable. There could be others, but these five are at least on the list of the top ten, right? First one, or, or the last one, number five on the list, is a test from China called the 
Gaokao test. Some of you know about that test because some of you, like, hey, man, have lived in China. <laughs> you know about that test. Very difficult. The Gaokao test is considered by many to be China's most difficult exam. Uh, this, co this college admission test takes nine hours over the course of two days to complete. Every student in the country has to appear for this exam as it is the main requ requirement to enter higher education. Less than one quarter of 1% of students receive a score required for admission to China's most prestigious schools. Every year, this exam decides the fate of millions of students across the country. The mental stress that students go through has been subject, the subject of interest to many documentary makers around the globe. There's been many stories told about the stress related to the Gaokao test, difficult test. Next on the list, number four is the Mensa test. Many of you have heard of Mensa. The Mensa test. The Mensa, the esteemed Mensa uh, is the oldest society for people with high IQs in the world. It operates all over the globe. For entrance, you can take the exam test or you can take the test or another qualifying intelligence test at any age. There are people as young as two years old that are part of Mensa. You must, uh, when you take it, you must score in the 98th percentile on the Mensa admission test to be admitted into the nonprofit society in the United States. Although different countries have their own procedures for interest, United, that's the United States' procedure, the test questions are logic-based puzzles that can be quite challenging, the Mensa test. Next on the list, third on the list is a test called the CFA exam. It's given by the CFA Institute based in the United States. The Chartered Financial Analyst, or CFA program, is a postgraduate certification recognized in countries around the world. To prepare for each of the three stages of the exams, candidates study for more than 300 hours on average. According to the Institute, uh, that's how long they study uh, to prepare for this exam. The payoff, though, if you pass this exam, is huge. Passing this exam designates you as one of the top finance and investment professionals in all of the world. Wall Street, Wall Street Journal has ranked this exam as the most, most difficult exam in the world. Less than one-fifth of the applicants clear this exam each year, and that's only after that same one-fifth has taken it multiple, multiple, multiple times in order to pass it. Uh, the test consists of two objective and one essay type UPSC. It's India's Union Public Service Commission, UPSC. Uh, they offer this civil services examination for a range of government jobs in bureaus like the Indian Foreign Service and Administrative Service. There are three levels involved with this exam. Uh, last, this exam lasts for a few months. Don't take it 
at one sitting. It lasts a long time. It has a pass rate well under 1%. 1% of the people are under that that take this exam, pass it. It is considered to be one of, if not the most difficult exams in all the world. It's meant to distinguish the most talented individuals for those positions. Out of nearly 300,000 candidates appearing annually for this exam, only less than 1,000 are selected. Very difficult exam. And then top of the list is an exam from Oxford University known as the All Souls Prize Fellowship Exam from Oxford University in England. Uh, this fellowship exam held at Oxford's uh, University's All Souls College is one of the toughest, toughest exams in the world. Uh, in fact, until quite recently, students were required to write a long essay about only one word given in one of the papers. Only two fellows are selected every year from all the students appearing for the exam. The exam consists of four papers, each of which lasts for three hours. One needs to have both a tremendous amount of factual knowledge and a highly imaginative mind to be able to answer questions in this exam. Only two candidates are selected each year from this large group that attempt this exam. Well, unlike these extremely difficult tests that I've just listed for you, uh, which are, I've already said, are the sources of much stress and anxiety. Unlike those, there is a test called the IFWG test. Anybody ever heard of? You probably haven't because I made it up. It's just an acronym for what I saw in the text, right? The IFWG test. Here's what it means. Intimate fellowship with God test. It's hidden in this text, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. But it's unlike those difficult ones we just read about. Uh, this test is a test, is a, test uh, where, uh, a test of where you are rather than what you know. A test of where you are uh, as opposed to what it is, how much knowledge you have. And unlike those that I listed for, your, for you previously that are very difficult and complex and, and, and create stress and anxiety, the IFWG test is quite simplistic in nature. Although we oftentimes struggle to pass it. It's simple though, it's very simple, but, but we have a difficult time, uh, those of us, that are human beings. <laughs> we have a different, and hopefully everybody in here is one of those. <laughs> but we have a difficult time passing this simplistic test. It shouldn't be that difficult. God even, God even grades on the curve. He grades on the curve, and he extends plenty of grace. I know it's true. I know it's true because it's noted in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Here's what we find out, that it's simplistic and he, it's graded on the curve and he extends plenty of grace. This is what Jesus says. He says this, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here it is, for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. It should not create a whole lot of stress and anxiety when we're talking about this IFWT, intimate fellowship with God test. Why do we, why do we fail it, right? Why do we fail? There's a reason. There's a reason. So far, Paul, uh, John's going to deal with it. So far in his epistle, John has been writing about this very subject, about intimate fellowship with God. We, we, we picked it up in chapter one in prologue. He deals with it, talking about this is, this is what's most important is, is, is connecting with God in intimate fellowship. He's been writing about it. So you remember last week that I said after we dealt with the prologue two weeks ago, last week we jumped into chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and it was there that you'll recall that I talked about what John was dealing with in that very passage. You remember that I said on the highway to heaven, God wants you to travel down the HOV lane, and he wants to be the other person riding in the car with you. He wants you to be in that High occupancy vehicle lane, he wants to ride. Not only that, he prefers to drive the car. And then you recall that uh, John closes uh, the prologue in chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, by making the point that the joy that the apostles have come from their fellowship with God the Father and the Son, and that the recipients or the readers of his epistle will share this joy when they enter into the same fellowship or koinonia with God. And then last week in chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, John lays out what I said were the basic principles for ongoing fellowship with God. He gave us some guidelines, some steps, some principles so that we could maintain this ongoing fellowship, intimate fellowship with him. So today, as we arrive in chapter 2, we find what amounts to an intimate fellowship test in verses 3 through 11. But before we get there, but before we get to this test, uh, 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 we we see further evidence of his grace in verses 1 and 2. I gave you a bit of a pre- preview last week in the verses 1 and 2. I want to read it for you again. I didn't read it earlier today. I want to read it for you again because in verses 1 and 2, you'll see further evidence of this curve in the grading and this abundance of grace that God extends to us because here's what verses 1 and 2 say. My little children, talking about all of us, I am writing these things. This is John writing to the church, but again, we know that it applies to us. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you do, if if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is what grace looks like. He extends to us this opportunity to be in fellowship with him even when we mess up. He's made a way, right? So then from there, we will begin with part one of this test. It's in verses three through six of our passage today. Uh, Part one of this test deals with this. Profession versus possession. Profession versus possession. That's what verses 3 through 6 will deal with. Let's read it real quick again. 3 through 6 says this. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We can really stop right there. I won't talk about that, those two verses for a minute. Uh, profession versus possession. You do know there's a difference in saying something and being something. You do know there's a difference between your talk and your walk. You do know there's a difference between what the package says and what's actually on the inside. Here's my challenge, and I believe John's going to help us see this, is that we've got to line those things up. Our profession needs to match our possession, and what we say we are on the outside needs to match what we have on the inside. So practice must match profession. Profession does not always equal, equal possession. So in verses 3 and 4, here's the first part of this test. Uh, it's, it's an obedience test. Obedience is the first step, right? It's in, it's in the text. It says, it says in verse 3, and by this, that's your clue that something important is coming after that that will determine whether or not you qualify to pass this test. Remember I said that this test is not about knowledge. It's about location. It's about spiritual location, your spiritual coordinates. Where are you? It's like when God confronts Adam in the garden. He knows where Adam is, but he says, where are you? He knows his location, but he's asking him a spiritual question. And so this test does not test what we have up here. It tests what we have down here. It tests where we are. And so John says the way that we can determine where we are in him or if we are in him. Now, this letter is written to the church. So here's the thing. We can assume that John is writing to other believers. So we can assume that everybody that's re that receives this letter is a believer or at least they claim to be. So then, here's what John said. Remember we talked about the Gnostics and all those who were, who were, who were uh, perpetrating and proliferating this false doctrine and they were causing people to be uh, swayed away from the church. John says this, this is how you figure out. This is how you determine your spiritual location. If, he says, verse 3, by this, he says this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Obedience is the determining factor, right? If we, if we are obedient, if, if we are obedient, uh, and he says, he says, knowing him, right? If, we, if, if by this we know him, that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. And then four, whoever says, I know him. I like, he keep, I like that he keeps making reference to that because how do we know that we really know him? We really know that we know him by the obedience that we offer to him. But let's unpack that a little bit. We need to talk about what knowing him means. What does that mean? What, what, what does it? Does it mean knowing him like I know you? Does it mean knowing him like, like I know uh, somebody famous? I've met them once, and I, I know who they are, right? It's a different kind of knowing. It's a deeper knowing than just a casual acquaintance. Right, Because I know a lot of you, but I don't know a whole lot about a lot of you. 
And a lot of you know me, but you don't know a whole lot about, about me, right? So we know each other casually, but that's not what John is dealing with. And so John says the way that we determine our location spiritually is that when we obey, our obedience determines that. If we know him, we will obey him. So what does it mean? It's the Greek word gnosko. It's the Greek word gnosko, and, and it means this, personally, intimately, and experientially knowing something or somebody. That's what it means. It means a deeper level of knowing. It means an intimate relationship a level, uh, on a level such as that. And so John says, the way that we determine if we know God, in this way is by the level of obedience that we offer to him. So he, sa- so he says that it is about knowing him and how do we determine that. It's, 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 it's kind of what Paul refers to in Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 10. I like what Paul says here. He says this, but whatever gain, talking about knowing Jesus, talking about knowing him in an intimate way, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that that, that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Paul says... I want to know Jesus in a deep way. And John says uh, the way that we determine if we are growing in that intimate relationship and fellowship with him is that we obey him. Right. It's, it, it's an obedience test. And then uh, the second part of the test is in verse five. This test of profession versus possession It's in verse five. And here's what verse 5 says again. But whoever tells you there's a test coming up next, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Uh, But whoever says that something important is coming next. And it's talking about here the complete love test. Right. The complete love element to this test, Uh, a believer who is obedient to God reaps the benefit of a deep acquaintance with God's love. To know God intimately is to know his love intimately. And I don't know about you, but I want to experience that kind of love, the kind of love that allows me to be so close with God that I can experience intimacy with him. Uh, it's what Jesus describes in John chapter 14, verses 21 through 23, when he says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then Judas Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? 
Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's what complete love looks like. When, when God comes and he, he, he connects with us and we connect with him because we have been obedient to following him and following his commandments and his word, there's this connection. G, uh, Jesus says he'll come and make his home with us. That's what complete love's, love looks like. Uh, and then at the end, uh, in verse 6 rather, there's this other element to the test. Uh, this other element is this. Look at verse 6. It says this. Whoever says, there's another clue, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This element of the, of the uh, test is the Christ-like character element, right? If we, if we say all these things that John has already listed, if we say all these things, if we say we are in him, if we say all of those things, if we say that, then we ought to have Christ-like character. We ought to have Christ-like character. Uh, the character of God, you say, what is, what is it? The character of God uh, will be displayed in those who, John says, those who abide in him. It'll be displayed. You can't help it. If you are abiding in him, he's abiding in you. You can't help but to display his character. The issue becomes, are we really actually abiding in him? Right? If we are completely and fully, then we'll look like him. We'll act like him. We'll talk like him. We'll walk like him. I'm not talking about perfection. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory. I'm not talking about that because he helped us with that in verses 1 and 2. He says, if we do sin, we've got an advocate who's already got up on the cross and paid the price. It's called propitiation. He paid the price. He took my place. He was my substitute so that when I do, not if I do, but when I do mess up, somebody else should have said amen right there because everybody in here has and will Mess up. It's not talking about perfection. It's not, it's not talking about that. It's talking about Christ. Let's talk about abiding in him so that we can look like him and walk like him and act like him. You say, well, how do you know what he looked like? I don't know. I don't know what he looked like. I'm not talking about physical look. I'm talking about how we look like him spiritually. And so he says the way that happens is when we abide. Abide, I love that word. When we abide, we, we, we have this character of Christ, this Christ-like character. I love this word, and it's taken from when Jesus uh, 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 talks about it in John 15. You know the abide passage, right, in John 15? I'm going to just read a little bit of it for you. Here's what he says in John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So John says, when we actually really abide in him, we will have Christ-like character. We'll, we'll still make mistakes, but here's what Christ-like character is. Christ-like character is this, recognizing 
and admitting when we do that, when we make those mistakes, and immediately go into him. Remember, remember 1 John 1, 9? What does it say? If we confess, y'all help me. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I told you then that's not transactional because all of our sins have been paid for, but it is a respect thing, right? We've already been forgiven for sins, past, present, and future. But if we really want to show the Lord our God, our Father, that we are abiding in him, uh, just like you want your kids to come to you or your acquaintances to come to you and apologize and ask for forgiveness when they've wronged you, our Father in heaven says, I've already washed you. I've already paid for your sins, but I still want to see you fall down before me and say, Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know I have sinned. And I'm abiding in you. And because I'm abiding in you, I am humbly submitting myself before you. And when we do that, you know what will happen? We'll develop this Christ-like character. And we'll have no stress, no anxiety about the test because we'll ace it. We'll ace the test when we have Christ-like character. That's the only way. Right? That's the only acceptable response. So that's part one of the test is in verses 3 through 6. The final part of this test is in verses 7 through 11. And it is this. It is the love and light versus the hate and darkness element of this test. Love and light because they go together. John's going to say hate and darkness because they go together. And this is what we get to cover in 7 through 11. Um, here, so so in, in, in verse 6, John says, if we are in him, we'll walk like him, right? So here's the natural question that should come. What does it look like to walk like him? How did he walk? What was important to him? What is Christ-like character actually look like? Other than what I just talked about, the confession and all of that stuff, what else does it look like? Well, John sensed that that was a question, and so he helps us with that in verses 7 through 11, because in 7 through 11, he's going to tell us exactly what was important to Christ and hence should be important to us. So it begins in verse 7, explaining it. In verse 7 says this, 7 and 8. I'm going to read 7 and 8. Because in 7 and 8 deals with the old and new. He talks about the old and new. 7 and 8. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What does he mean by old and new? What, what is he trying to say? Well, he's talking about this. It's old because it's found in this old commandment. By the way, when he talks about commandments in the earlier part of this passage, you have to know that John's not dealing with the Ten Commandments. He breaks it down to just two. 
just two. You know, you know what they are. Jesus gives them to us uh, all throughout the gospel. There are just two that are really important. And if those two are kept, all the others will line up. And so John, when he talks about commandments in the earlier part of this passage and here, he's only talking about two. Now he's beginning to unpack what those two are. You know what they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Those are the two ones that are important. So commandments in this passage are talking about those, because when those two are in place. We don't have to worry about the other ones. So what does he mean talking about old and new? Well, old, the old part of it is found in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 6, 5. And he puts those two together and he calls it the old. Let's read it. It says uh, Leviticus 19, 18 says this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then Deuteronomy 6, 5 says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He says this is the old. You've heard it. He, said, he says to those that have, have been believers walking with God for a long time and know all of the law and all the prophets. He said, you've heard this preached and taught since you were born. You know the old, right? He said, you know, you know what the scriptures say. This is the old, but it's also the new. Because it's the governing commandment for the Christian life. It's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. He's a teacher, here's what it says. Teacher, which is the greatest, ask this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here is what settles all of it. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. This is the old and new. It's old and it's new because it was, it was taught uh, from the beginning and Jesus shows up and he continues this same teaching. This is what's important. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so then we get into this test. Verse 9. Verse 9. Verse 9 says this. Whoever says, there's, a, there's your clue again, whoever says, somebody was saying this. Whoever says he is in the light. Oh, wait, wait, let me back up for a minute. Somebody was saying this. Somebody is saying this right now. <laughs> this wasn't just in John's day, right? This is happening right now, right? Watch this, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Hate equals darkness. It equals darkness. And it's not, if we're talking about being Christ-like and having Christ-like character, uh, it's not Christ-like. They were doing it then. So, so watch this. They were doing it then. It's happening now. We got, we got to get beyond all of it, right? We got, and, and John's going to tell us where we need to get to. He's already touched on in the first part of this test. But now we're in this hate versus love, light versus darkness part of this test and he's going to break it all the way down so that there can be no confusion about what it looks like. You cannot, he says, you cannot hate anyone. Can't hate. Uh, and still, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still going to be in darkness if that happens. And then, so that's not Christ-like. Verse 10, 
Verse 10, it says this. Whoever loves, that's another clue, something's coming up next, whoever, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Here is the answer. First one, hate equals darkness is not Christ-like. Verse 10, love equals light, and light is Christ-like. Remember, John spends a lot of time talking about light and what happens when we're in the light and the significance of the light and God is light and all of that. Now, here he says that love equals light. And when we're in the light, we won't stumble. When you love your brother or sister, you seek, here's what it looks like, you seek to comprehensively and righteously meet his or her need in a way that God, that brings God glory. Uh, You don't just you don't just uh, act like, pretend like what's important to your brother or sister is important to you because we've become professionals at doing that, right? We give it lip service, right? We play with it. But if, 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 if what's important to you is really important to me, then I will, I will attempt to comprehensively understand you and what you need in hopes that you will do the same thing for me. That's what love looks like. Love looks like that. Uh, when this happens, you remain in the light and have no cause for stumbling. Love for God and neighbor allows you to see clearly and avoid falling into sin. When we love God and love each other, Somehow, I don't know, I don't exactly know how it all works out. I don't know all the, the, the details and specifics of how this works. But somehow, Delisa, when I love you, there's less sin in my life. Or, well, let me, let me rephrase that. When I love God and love you, there's a whole lot less sin that's present. When I do those two things, sin seems to be lessened. It maybe, maybe it doesn't go away completely. But it seems to be lessened when I line those things up. And watch this. When those things are lined up, it's a lot easier for me to find my way and navigate my way through life. I don't get tripped up so much. I don't stumble so much. And that's what John says. He says, when you do this, it prevents, it, it, it causes you to avoid so much stumbling. And so sometimes we wonder, why am I having such a hard time? We got to line those two things up, love God and love each other. And when we do both of those, then things will be much easier, easier navigated in life. I'm not saying there won't be hard times and difficulties. But you'll have a lot easier road. John says, love equals light. It's what Jesus deals with. Uh, Jesus deals with it in John 15. 12 through 15, he says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. We've got to follow Jesus' example, right? He says, um, this, this is how I love you. And this is what light looks like. Love 
equals light. Christ, the light of the world, came to dispel the darkness of sin and ignorance and inaugurate the era of light and love. That's what he did. He inaugurates this new era in humanity, the era of light and love. We got to get back to it. We got to get back to it, right? And so because, because when we do it, it's much easier to see. It's much easier to see. Conversely, when hate is a part of who we are, it creates darkness, which leads to blindness. And this is how Paul, I'm sorry, John wraps up this passage. It's in verse 11. He does this. This is what he says. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The one who hates is out of fellowship with the God of light. Not being able to see or know where one is going never ends well. And John says, when we remain in hate rather than in love, it creates blindness. And, you know, it's blindness, although there are many people who are blind who do well, is still a disability. Right. I know we we all have people that we love that have that disability, but it is still a disability. So they can't do everything I can do. Right. There are some things they probably do better than I can, actually, because other senses are heightened. But there are some things like like, you know, that they can't do that I can. A, a whole host of things. And John says that when we uh, are cons- consumed By hate, we are disabled because we're in darkness. When we're in darkness, we run over stuff and we fall and we stumble and we trip and we we get disoriented and all those things happen because of that. I want to leave you with this. As we have wrapped up this test, this test of spiritual location versus Knowledge and wisdom and all that stuff, right? Uh, God wants to know where are we spiritually. And when we can answer these questions with, um, I am obeying you, I am loving, I'm, I'm loving you and I'm obeying you and I'm loving my neighbor as myself, then we pass the test. I want to leave you with these tips before I go. Uh, these test tips, I call them, test tips for life. Here they are. Always defer to Jesus' example. Always. No matter what. Be careful of your actions because they tell the real truth about you. They do. Be careful. Make your father proud. But even when you don't, Verse 1 and 2, he still got your back. Our goal is to make him proud, but even when we don't. And then love one another. That's a test tip for life. Then if you ever get into a situation where you just can't figure out which tip applies, (laughs) if you ever get to a place where you don't know what to do and you just can't figure it out and you just... You know, you're bewildered and baffled and you're confused and you don't know where to go on this list or any list. Then here's what I want you to do. If you're ever in doubt, 
See tip number one. That'll, that'll, that'll bring you out of anything. That'll give you direction and help you navigate through anything. If you just, if you forget all the rest of the things, or just please remember number one. Always defer to Jesus' example. Well, what was his example? Can I give it to you? And then I promise I'm sitting down. It's in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Here's his example. Paul says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. You can stop right there, but I'd advise you not to stop right there because it gets better. Obedient, not just obedient, but obedient until it hurt. Obedient until it was uncomfortable. Obedient until he died. And not just till he died, but he died the gruesome, terrible death of the cross. So whatever situation you get yourself in or find yourself in when you're feeling like you're confused and you don't know where to turn, just look back to what Jesus did. How he walked, how he lived, what he did. He was obedient to the point of sacrifice to his father. And that'll always bail us out. And when we do that, we'll surely pass the test. Y'all remember what that test is called? The IFWG. It's not like the Mensa test, it's not like any of those others. The intimate fellowship with God test is very simplistic. Come unto me. All your labor and heavy laden, I give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a simple test. Why do we fail it so much? Yeah. That's all John is saying. That's all he's saying. If you love me, Keep my commandments. And they're just to love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. For your word, there's a lamp and a light for us. We praise you today. Help us, Lord God, to leave here and apply your word to our daily lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we go, I want to make sure that 